If even 50% of it is true, it's totally nuts. That's probably just because I'm a curmudgeon. And like, Nefarious was going on behind the scenes there. Space westerns, pew pew lasers, etc. That said, Uba. Episode 6 was even better than that. Wait, wait, wait. Hold on, hold on. Yeah, you're dead. Thank you, bye. Oh, yeah, that was fun. Guide us, because I am um, just a mess. Go ahead. I'm dead now. Can we move the fuck on? Ah, 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 ah. back of the bus and shit. Make sweet love to a grilled cheese sandwich. Speaking, uh... Hard muscles! Broadcasting live from inside the power band, this is The Blah. In this episode, everybody dies. I'm your host, The Wolverine, along with my intrepid companions, Ben, a.k.a. Jarhigo. Hey, hey, hey! And Chad, also known as C-Lab Forever. Hey, hey, hey! <laughs> Navarro Tatooine Grief Carga A small Yodin alien life form. That's right, folks. This week, we're going back to the world of the Mandalorian for the second part of Season 2, A Conversation with Us. Algorithm, drive the bus. Where are we going first on this? We're taking a hard left. <laughs> I had a good chat with the listener, um, Lazy Fair, on the uh, the Grams. He had a really interesting Reddit thread that uh, he recommended I check out, and I wanted to bring it to the show so we could chat about it because it was very interesting. I think it adds a bit to what we were discussing with uh, Rise of Skywalker. So um, if you, as the audience, listen to that show, you'll know that we weren't super stoked about it, and we were super sympathetic to J.J. Abrams having a pretty shitty hand of cards he needed to play. And we kind of speculated a little bit here and there about it, but um, this Reddit thread is allegedly like a, a leak from somebody in the know who goes into great detail about how, just how screwed over J.J. was, and I think it's worth touching on. So do you guys have a chance to check that one out? I did, and just how screwed over the production was, and just how they completely hobbled it, like uh, James Caan in Misery. <laughs> it's a harsh reality of life, man. People are getting hobbled with sledgehammers, Chad, and this film was one of them. It seems like the whole fucking trilogy was, to be honest, but... Yeah. It go- it goes back to Ben's point of uh, why the hell they had to do these movies straight away, but they did, and as a result, the studio clearly was uh, being overly protective, it seems. Yeah, and it sounds like it started on um, The Force Awakens. It didn't start on Last Jedi or, you know, the other... Uh, Rise of Papa Palpatine. It started on Force Awakens when they were all reticent about hiring John Boyega because there's already a female in the lead. And like, I, I, I was like, really? Yeah. I'll put a link to the Reddit thread in the show notes. So feel free to pause the podcast and have a quick look. It's like a five minute thing and then come back to us. But um, we're going to keep it pretty high level anyway. So 
you don't need to read it necessarily. What did you think, Benny? I'm not prescient or anything, but I kind of might have guessed that this was the kind of thing that was going on. I mean, you know, JJ has always been pretty reliable for putting out good stuff. And for something so out of character for him to show up, especially in the Star Wars universe, you had to wonder if something nefarious was going on behind the scenes there. Um, So, yeah, uh, my takeaway is I really hope somebody leaks his three and a half hour version that uh, has been lost on the cutting room floor for the moment. I hope somebody leaks that in the future. I'd like to see that. See, see if it changes anything about it. Yeah. I think it's pretty wild that uh, one of the rumblings in the article or the post was like how there were many, many changes in the last couple of months. And like, he was completely blindsided by the final edit, which is like, that's some seriously messed up stuff. If that's true. It wouldn't surprise me, man. You know, it really wouldn't surprise me. I don't know, man. I just wish like they would leave the creating to the creatives and the money people can do the money stuff. Like it just seems so silly to, to get so bogged down in the studio, people having a say in what's going to be shot on the film and stuff. Like I get the producers need to produce and stuff, but at the same time, like they bought Lucasfilm for 4 billion or whatever. They were going to make that back. No problem. And everything else is gravy on top. Like they're just, they're, they've already made their money back. Like it's there's no risk of them not making a billion dollars on on any of the sequel trilogy. There is now. So let the people like there is now, but like they're they're still like even like uh, solo disappointed, but it still made hundreds of millions of dollars. It still made a profit. You know, like it just it's making a fucking profit, guys. Leave the movie to the people that you hired to make the movie. I don't know. It just seems so silly. My God, man, it's like. I don't know. You kind of said it. You both kind of said it already. I don't really have much more to say. I'd love to see his cut of the film. But Kevin Feige did it, man, with the MCU. You know, like, there's definitely a certain level of tameness to the MCU. Like, it's not as risky as other movies, but, like, they certainly had a, a much higher strike rate than Star Wars has, you know, and they took their time building up to the climax instead of starting with the climax of the sequel trilogy. Like, we've covered this ground before, but... Just this the the amount of meddling in this in this post. Let's just assume that it's all reasonably true. Like it's freaking nuts, man. Dude, if even fifty percent of it is true, it's totally nuts. I especially thought that there was the one one of the comments about like Disney's happy to to scuttle episode nine for the bigger picture, and it seemed as though the bigger picture was like they don't want anyone going to DC and helping DC build their DCU because MCU is essentially this generation's Star Wars and stuff, which I would argue is reasonably accurate. Like every little kid these days is obsessed with the MCU, so it's just so petty to to do that so after this disaster and what we read if assuming that it's all true what do you think jj is gonna do now exactly you think he's gonna be stoked to make more star wars movies no no it's they're they're really risking scaring off top talent if jj gets screwed over like this you know like because like even the ryan johnson movie you know regardless of the actual film last jedi ryan johnson is a really good director man he's made some fantastic movies it was really surprising to me to see how bad Last Jedi was. Dude, Looper is so good. Yeah, Looper's great. Number one. Number two, I have something to say about The Last Jedi because I did start watching it again like a week and a half ago and I didn't finish it. But you hire somebody to make a movie, right? And he's got his vision of how he wants to tell the story. Everybody signed off on it. So 
why is everybody giving him so much flack? You know, like mm. he, he, I saw a lot of posts where he was defending what people were saying, fans were saying about his version of the film. And it's like, he, he, he had some really good thoughts, man. Like all his responses were really, you know, well thought out. You know what I mean? It's like, you, you just want to, you hire somebody to make the film. It's like, you know, he, he, this is the vision of the film. Everybody signed off on it. And then it's like, oh, now everybody's upset and nobody likes it. It's like, throw him under the bus. Great. Yeah. Just throw him under the bus. That's really cool. Like that. I, I, I feel like, are, are you, are, are you talking about like Disney? throwing him under the bus or are you talking about people not liking the film i'm talking about both i'm talking about everybody throwing him under the bus and people not liking the film you know yeah. and now after reading this reddit post it's like who knows what ryan johnson's original vision for the film was i mean looper was so good man i, I can't believe that this guy would intentionally make a bad star wars film no way because guys like Ryan Johnson and us and JJ, we all grew up watching this crap. So yeah, no one would want to screw it up. Nobody is going to do that, man. I mean, come on. They're not going to do it knowingly, willingly. That's, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, I'm with you. Well, I mean, if they want to keep making movies, they're going to they're gonna have to learn their lesson at some point. I agree. You know, I mean, I, I don't know what overall Rise of Skywalker has done, but, you know, it seems like I've, I feel like I've been reading a lot of articles about how it's underperformed at the box office. And, you know, I mean, if that if that doesn't if, if money is what they're trying, money is what they're responding to. And if it's money, people that are trying to make these cautious decisions, then, you know, a shitty monetary performance should speak volumes yeah to them yeah it should speak volumes so you know and if and if jj and and the and some of the actors come forward and express their their grief over this then i think that's a good thing um i don't think they will but if if they did i think that might start to push things in a better direction you know yeah oh my god absolutely man and like you know actors like oscar isaac like he's got a lot of freaking muscle now you know he's He's done some incredible movies, you know? Yeah. Well, I think what's going to happen is exactly what you're both saying, which is they will learn their lesson. Unfortunately, it'll be at the expense of existing franchises being destroyed, you know? Exactly. That That's where the frustration is for a lot of the fans, regardless of whichever fan franchise is being discussed. Like, they own all of the goddamn franchises now. So mm. if there's one way that you shouldn't make a decision, it's by committee. And they've clearly got huge committees of people chiming in rather than allowing a handful of creatives to to collaborate and make a great movie. Exactly. I think you said it best last week, Kev, where you were saying that at least with the prequels, there was a singular creator bringing his vision to life. And even if we as fans didn't appreciate it and maybe might appreciate it more now, like at least he had creative freedom. It's clearly not the case for these these new movies and the result is, is quite disappointing. I'm actually kind of thankful that it's meddling by the studios and not these talented directors like completely shitting the bed, you know? Well, you know what? I, I want to say something else about the prequels. Like now I'm, I'm really hot on the prequels now because I've been thinking about it a lot since we did the episode. And, you know, the thing about the prequels is, is really, and, and this is typical in human behavior. It's certainly in this country is we tend to focus on the negatives more than the positives, right? In our lives, like from the smallest thing that's happening right now in this moment to what happens in a day, a week, a month, and a year, right? And really, when I think about the prequels and the things that people complained about the most and the things that I didn't care for the most, it's really like Jar Jar 
and what Hayden Christensen did. And Hayden Christensen is not a bad actor. He's done other stuff that is really good. And I think, unfortunately, for these films, you know, it didn't really do a lot to help his career. But those two things taken aside, there's a lot of really cool stuff about the prequel trilogies. We get to see all kinds of interesting planets, worlds, societies, technologies, creatures, lore. There's so much lore, so much cool stuff going on there, man, that that is the stuff that keeps me going back to watch them. You know, like, you, know, you take away those couple of dumb things and, you know, there's a lot of really good material there. Like, you know, you brought up lore when we were talking about the first half of The Mandalorian and... And I'm with you on that. And like, aside from the lore, I love seeing creatures. I love seeing cool ships, technologies, things like that. And it's like, there's a ton of that in the prequel movies, tons of it. And if you take away those couple bad things that people really disliked, there's a lot to like there. That said, Uba, Uba, Uba. Which of course is the best thing about the prequels. <laughs> totally exactly i uh i still have a huge raspberry for the prequels but i might need to revisit that i just like i totally understand where you're coming from kev and maybe we should do a show on the prequels at some point in the distant future oh my god yes when we're willing to watch star wars again which might be a while yeah it might be a couple years yep yeah well if if look i am i am absolutely willing to watch star wars the the mandalorian is proof of that Absolutely. I just, you know, I mean, it harkens back to the just the entire Skywalker saga being done with that, right? Isn't that really what it is? And are, we're all done with the Skywalker saga. And, you know, it sucks that they botched the 7, 8, and 9. And, you know, I, I get the sense that both of you guys are a little more emotional about it, which is totally cool. I'm just, meh. All right, whatever. I can choose to ignore those movies. Yeah. And I'm fine with that. You know, it's not, it's not keeping me up at night. <laughs> no. You mean, you mean seven, eight, and nine, Ben? Seven, eight, and nine. Yeah. I think it's a shame that it's a missed opportunity, of course. And, you know, it's a shame that there's a lot of wasted talent, but it doesn't keep me up at night. I honestly, I'm not emotionally invested in it at all. Yeah. And my emotional investment broke with my watching of Last Jedi. Since Last Jedi, I was just kind of like, all right, whatever. See you later. And we 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 recorded the Star Skywalker Saga Must Die episode, you know, which kind of wraps it all up in a in a tidy little bow. Like I'm with you. I'm way less emotional about the handling of Star Wars, and I think you know the the emotion now is more like relating to corporate interests preventing good art from being made, mm. regardless of of franchise. That's maybe where the emotion is more hot for me. But maybe there's a little segue there between this Reddit post and, and The Mandalorian, if we're, we're ready to segue. Um, ultimately, for me, the movies are too risky and the bean counters are always going to be fucking them up. But the TV shows are less risky and so people like Favs can come in and have more control. And I think that like the Star Wars or other franchises that run the risk of being ruined by corporate you know bean counters can be saved in these less risky mediums and we talked a lot about how we were interested to see star wars and marvel shows be taken to the next level because there's a huge opportunity for that being the golden age of television and so i feel like the mandalorian is a great first step and similar to how favs launched a thousand ships with uh, iron man i'm hoping that he launches a thousand ships with uh, mandalorian 
Well, hopefully the movie side of Disney will see the I'm 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 kind of making a bold assumption here because I like the Mandalorian that generally the Mandalorian is being well received by people. Um and hopefully they'll see that and, and pivot. I hope so. I don't know what they're gonna do. I was watching The Mandalorian and it's so funny talking about Rise of Papa Palpatine getting so wound about that and disappointed with that and then you know, I went and watched Solo and I was like, wow, this is good. And then I thought about the prequels and I was like, you know, those movies really aren't that terrible, man. There's a lot to like there. And then I'm watching The Mandalorian and I'm like, this is just great. Mm, it's just simple. Just great. Simple fun. Just simple and great. Good lore and just great characters, creatures, good stories. And like, I, by the time I got through episode six, I was like, I cannot wait to see where this goes next. And then by the time I got to the end of the run, I was like, I cannot wait to see where it goes next season. And that is a great headspace for fans and viewers to occupy. And I was so stoked to watch it again before we did this. And I I couldn't even get through all of them. I think I got through half of seven last night but i was like man i just i want to watch it again it was so damn good man Mm. yeah similar high level i I really enjoyed it and it was really interesting to to have a major tentpole star wars movie come out in the middle of the season i know and and i want to respond to what ben just said like you know the funny thing about the tv shows and i've thought this for a long time is why aren't more films that are made from books done as miniseries. I, I never could figure that out because it's a, it's a way better format for telling stories. So I'm just sort of focusing on the storytelling for a moment. The Mandalorian, when you take it, right, and you squash it all together, it's a four plus hour film. So it's eight episodes, about 35 to 40 minutes. The last episode was 48 minutes. So it's about a four to five hour movie. Mm. You've got, you got way more latitude to tell the story that you want to tell, you know? So it's way more difficult, way more risky to try to do it all in a film. And there's so much more breathing room in TV. And I, I just, I don't know why it's not done more because this show is, it's, it's really well done. I mean, sure, I can name shows that are better than this show, way better than this show, but it's damn good. Yeah, I agree. And I think that there's way more likely of a chance of them continuing to fund shows like this, but maybe it's kind of like, in you know, it's kind of like the music industry in a way where album sales were a huge thing for a long period of time, just like box office ticket sales are a huge thing. And they're like a direct output, the money gets put in the bank, as opposed to a streaming service, which is all about churn rates and, you know, costs per customer acquisition and, you know, lifetime value of customers and all these crazy formulas and growth algorithms and shit. So, you know, hopefully they don't let that get in the way of the fact that TV is probably going to be a better medium for medium and longer form stuff. If Mandalorian is an example of the beginning of a new era with mega franchises and, you know, Game of Thrones was one of the major elements in showing that giant budget TV can result in giant cultural juggernauts, then like keep this shit coming. So yeah, absolutely. Book adaptation is, I think, better suited by series. Um, We know they weren't quite so successful with Game of Thrones, but they started off quite successfully, I think. Yeah. If they if the books kept up, they probably would have continued to be successful, but they outran the books. Yes, exactly. There was kind of a strange situation there. 
But um, the expanse is terrific, and that's another example of that. To speak to that, I think that's a great idea, and I'm very uh, excited about Denis Villeneuve's uh, Dune that's coming along. Super interested about that one. But you got to wonder. Wait, wait, wait. Hold on, hold on. Denis Villeneuve is doing Dune now. It's in production right now. Oh my god! I just I just got through almost all of Blade Runner twenty forty nine. It's so it's so good. I almost I, I've been thinking about suggesting that we revisit that film. Oh, dude, it's one of the best films of, of the last ten years, in my opinion. It's going to be interesting to see where where he goes with Dune because it's a very complex book and yeah, the longest form in the universe might not save it. But I'm really interested to see where he goes. Okay, so we know that the sci-fi miniseries didn't work out, and I don't know if that's because I don't think I don't think that's so much because of the longer format as it didn't work well with people. Uh, the direction they went with it, and it probably didn't have a lot of budget either. No, it was very like it was almost more like a play. Like you could tell a lot of things were done on like a on a stage set instead of like actually out in the desert, that kind of a thing. Yeah. But anyways, they're going to break the first book up into two movies. So oh, okay, they're definitely going to take their time, take more time with it than, uh, say, the David Lynch version. That's neither here nor there. But I was going to say about The Mandalorian is that although there is an overarching story, there are a lot of great little self-contained stories in all the episodes like, you know, that don't necessarily relate. It's refreshing to see something just wrapped up within the episode. You know what I mean? Yeah, definitely. In my in my opinion. And there are a lot of uh, fun little stories in there, I thought. Yeah, 100%. And I wasn't like, we talked about this a bit in the first half of the um, season conversation where it was like, one of the things that we all kind of agreed on was that we liked that the end of each episode with Queel or Cara Dune or whatever her name is, or, you know, IG-11 was like that they didn't, join the team and that did kind of change towards the end of the season which we'll get to i'm sure but um they were very self-contained as episodes and i think similar to what kev said like because they were like you know taking vitamins instead of like having to slog through something like you just one at a time you just pop them and you're like oh that was enjoyable you know some of the episodes were stronger than others but as a whole it was quite enjoyable and the fact that it threaded together was also like a bit of bonus you know like, it could have just been eight episodes of random stories, and I would have been fine with it. But the fact that there was a, a thread that tied it all back together was was interesting. Yeah, I think that was the way to do it, you know. Mm. Agree, agree, agree. I, I'd be curious to see what he does with Dune. I'm a very big fan of his now, and there's no reason not to be. I mean, he did um, Sicario, Blade Runner, Arrival, Prisoners, which I haven't seen. He also did, um, I think he did another film with Jake Gyllenhaal where he's got a, like a double. Yeah. That wasn't very good. I can't, I, it was pretty good. No. Yeah. I mean, yeah, whatever. This isn't a, this isn't a Denny Villeneuve show, but I'm, I'm with you. Like, I'm curious to see where he goes with it. And I think, I think that <laughs> on that topic of longer form adaptations of stuff, like I think there's going to be stumbles. There's going to be, you know, shit that, they spend a lot of time and a lot of breathing room putting out there that doesn't catch on. I think a good example of that is um, the His Dark Materials uh, show that's airing right now that's, I think, might have just concluded the first season. Like, the books are, you know, young adult kind of fiction, and, like, they're good. And when I read them back when they came out, I enjoyed them. I reread them recently, and it was less enamored, but that's probably just because I'm a curmudgeon. And, like, they made a movie about it, and it failed. I wasn't enamored the first time around, just for posterity. Yeah, fair enough. Like, it's it's like a, yeah, 
it's totally fair. They they made a movie about it, and the movie didn't do as well as they'd hoped, so they canceled the, the trilogy, which is a shame. And then they've made the show now in attempts to revive everything with more breathing room. And it's it's fine. It's good. It's just pretty much photocopied out of the book. So there's nothing that's being elevated for me. And so it's just kind of like, yeah, okay, right on. I'm curious to hear what someone who's never read the book thinks about the show because it's just kind of like, whatever. So I think that, you know, the larger medium of TV is going to be a very interesting place to see explored over the next decade now that things like Game of Thrones have opened the door to much bigger budgets. And so, you know, I'm hoping that they don't stumble too much. uh, And I'm hoping that the medium really takes a next evolutionary step. But um, I'm I'm pretty stoked with Fav's take on, on Star Wars. And it seems pretty clear to me, at least, that the low risk medium and the unknowns in regards to like how well Disney Plus was going to do probably gave him a bit more freedom to make what he wanted. And as a result, we potentially have, you know, him doing the Iron Man treatment to Star Wars. And hopefully they take a, a, no, a note out of his book. And also doing it, and, and, I mean, interestingly, you know, Iron Man was a film and this is TV. So it's like he's kind of switching formats and making something cool, you know. Definitely. <laughs> I, I I died I I just want to point out that I died right <laughs> when I started talking about prisoners and Chad just completely went into the garage got the steamroller out and drove <laughs> over me yeah this isn't a show about Denis Villeneuve anyway it's due. <laughs> hey man sometimes you need to like prune shit back and you know uh, prisoners steamroller after you did that I was like I was my mental picture of this episode was. Um, two guys holding a dog leash of a dog that they are trying to... You're about to die again, I think, man. Control. Hold on. And <laughs> those two people are you, and I am the dog. <laughs> yeah, you're dead. Thank you. Bye. Wait, both both people are Chad? Yeah, I'm... No, both... I the, got cloned. The two people are you and Chad, and I am the dog. No, Papa Palpatine style, I've cloned myself, and I've come back with white eyes, and I'm... You're you're in a gimp suit with a leash. Yeah, that's fine. I'm dead now. Can we move the fuck on? Okay. You're... T- I've got to go all that out. It's going to be great. Last time we spoke about The Mandalorian, we covered... The cast, generally, and kind of high-level stuff and just high-level thoughts on space westerns, pew-pew lasers, etc. And I think, similar to The Watchmen, we picked a good place to to pause halfway through because the story kind of solidified after we spoke about it. It was very much establishing still when we spoke about it last time. Um, and there was a Star Wars movie that came out in the meantime, so... I think uh, I think now's a good time to to talk about how they closed the story up and and what they chose to do with it because it was interesting to it's interesting to split the show up. Yes, yes. I, uh, <laughs> 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 to be honest, I wasn't <laughs> I wasn't so sure that it was a wise decision to uh, to do that. But I think uh, my previous complaints about doing high level entire season uh, or entire show podcasts, you know, is that there's so much ground to cover and they tend to be frenetic. 
and something's always going to be left out. So I think it's actually a really wise decision that we decided to do that. But I didn't know how it was going to turn out, and I think it's it's turned out well. It's something we should probably consider doing in the future. Yeah, yeah, and just keep playing with it a bit. What do you mean the when the, possible the double the double part TV season? Yeah, breaking a season into into two episodes, I think is is a good idea. Yeah, I wish we had done that with Umbrella Academy actually, but you know, yeah, in the future, this is the way we should do it. Hindsight's twenty twenty. Yeah, I mean, you know, we just started. They've been at it for what a year now, so. I don't think we necessarily this is the first opportunity we've had to do it like this. So I think it's I think it's a good choice. I wasn't sure about it at first, but I think it's it's good. Yeah, for sure. I can let us know what you think, people. Yeah, yeah. If you guys agree or found it annoying or whatever, let us know. But um <laughs> in the I feel like it's gonna be one of those things that like when the shows come out, as they come out, people might be like, oh, I just would rather to hear the whole thing. But in the future you can go back and download both episodes and listen to them back to back, you know. So I think it's Depends on how you approach the show, you know. What Chad is saying that is that we're going to do it the way we want to do it, no matter what. So yeah, pretty you. much. <laughs> <laughs> pretty much. This is our show. We're going to do it the fuck we want. Thank you. Bye. I, I was going to go a little little more meta with my comment and say that you know if you if you want to be like Doctor Manhattan and view things as all all of our episodes are happening at one time, Ooh. then you can listen to Mandalorian Part One. And Mandalorian Part 2 back to back. And it will be like, that's the way it came out to you. Because you were Dr. Manhattan. Be your tunnel of love. I like it. I like it. Meta. Very meta. So, guide us. Because I am um, just a mess. Go ahead. So, where we left off was, uh, Kev, you were pretty ho-hum about the Save the Farmers episode. What the fuck is going on? Dude? I'm sorry. I'm, so, I'm trying to keep it together, man. I just I keep thinking of funny things while you're talking, and it's not. I'm not making fun of you, dude. I'm no, just, no, I'm not even upset. Like, share with the class. What are you laughing about? <laughs> well, first, like, it just <laughs> you just you, when you started saying right there. Okay, so where we left off was, and I pictured. In my head, I, I was saying, with me curled up in the corner, <laughs> spazzing out. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. And it and continues. Before that, we're not leaving. When anything, you it's talking, still happening. When you started talking about pew pew lasers before, I couldn't. I just like I couldn't stop thinking about pew pew lasers. <laughs> I went on this whole mental like <laughs> journey down a river of pew pew lasers, man. <laughs> sorry, I'm really sorry. All right, go ahead. I'm with you. Go. So where we <laughs> You're like legit giddy, bro. I am, I am. All right. Repeat your last comment and just refresh my memory. So and I will engage. <laughs> besides the ambient that you need to be taking right now, the uh <laughs> That's not helping me, dude. Come on. Oh boy. <laughs> He was talking about how you weren't on board with the uh, farmer the, rescue episode. The blue shrimp episode, man. <laughs> totally, dude. Oh, my God. Sorghum. That was the name of the planet. Sorghum. Okay, I'm back. I'm back. <clears throat> right. Here we um, are. Sorghum. Do you know what sorghum is? It's like some shitty flower that hippies eat. <laughs> <laughs> I love how I love how algorithm is saying things <laughs> that are funny to make me laugh just so he can yell at me. 
and be like, dude, stop derailing us. Um, sorghum is not quite that, but yeah, I'll, we'll take that as an answer. Okay. I was thinking you're going to like read the fucking dictionary for it or some <laughs> shit. Noun. Sorghum. I will spare you that, but um, that's the name of the planet in episode four, the uh, <laughs> the Farmer's Revolt episode. <laughs> that's super insightful. Thank you. <laughs> I can't even... <laughs> I can't even wrap my head. I can't even wrap my head around it. That episode was like um, any garden variety Star Trek episode from TOS, TNG, DS9, Voyager, (laughs) combined with elements of Star Trek insurrection. It was such a Star Trek episode. I just, I cannot stress that enough. I just didn't care for it. That's kind of what I liked about it. I mean, I'll, I'll admit that I don't think it was out of out of all the episodes, it was definitely one of the weaker ones. But I kind of liked that about it. And then go, going into five, five was the gunslinger helping the noob, and it was just so good, man. You think so? I mean, you know what? It, it was and it wasn't. I wasn't in love with. Um, I watched it twice, and the first time I watched it, I wasn't nuts about the character of, you know, the new kid, you know, trying to, you know, sneak in the back door of the rock concert. <laughs> but um, I liked it a lot more the second time, and uh, it, w- it was definitely good. You know, Ming-Na Wen is, she's great. She's super underrated. She's been in a lot of stuff. She was in um, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., Yes. She was in a sitcom I used to watch years ago. She was really great. I thought it was a good episode. You know, certainly after the Farmer's Revolt episode, I, I was I was definitely into it. I mean, the, the cool thing about watching the second half of this series was that the episodes just got better as we went forward. So five was good. Six was even better. Seven was even better than that. And then eight was just great. Yeah. Did I just do that? You did. You did do that. You did. It was a good progression. I liked it. Thank you. I should have done that like Tony the Tiger. Anyway. You should have done it like The Count. Ooh. Episode five. Five beautiful episodes. Ah, 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 ah. They just keep getting better. <laughs> and then episode six was even better than that. Ah, 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 ah. Wow. I don't need so, to because so- that was awesome. <laughs> so what was the question? Five. What do you think of five? Episode five. It's not claiming the cube. It's helping the noob. Helping the noob. I liked episode five. Listen, this show, what I like about this show is it's just simple entertainment. It's not, doesn't have a fucking agenda. It's not trying to do anything other than just, it reminds me of like watching like an old, you know, like, like of watching Star Trek or even like, I don't know, watching like an old eighties TV show or something, you know, like fucking the a team or or something like that like it just has it just has that kind of feel to me and i know it's not like high literature or anything groundbreaking but it's just entertaining and enjoyable like i can just sit and watch it and go like oh yeah that was fun you know so episode five yeah um i i, I had a great time watching it i, I particularly kind of enjoyed uh, amy sudaris's uh, mechanic character with her little droids and all of that yeah she was great she was, she was really good. That's funny, man. I She was good, and I yet at the same time did not love that. And here's why. Because I felt like her dialogue was too, 
like it had that feeling of what we talked about in Rise of Skywalker or sorry, Rise of Papa Palpatine. And it wasn't quite like Rise of Papa Palpatine, but it was close. And that kind of bugged me a little bit. But that being said, it wasn't enough for me to not love her character, her or the episode. So moving right along. Yeah, see, that kind of banter doesn't really bother me in a TV show no. format. Uh, up on the big screen, yeah, it just says, like, I don't feel like this has to fit so tightly with the rest of things, and that's one thing I enjoy about it. So that's that's my take there. Ben, you know what this show is? You know, The Mandalorian is a combination between Michael Knight and Thomas Magnum. <laughs> He's roaming around, getting into these adventures. He's got sweet armor and weapons and technology and he's saving the day he's got a sweet ship exactly dude you know i think about that for a second he's michael magnum i like it (laughs) i do really really like the um i do really like the comparison of this to like an 80s style show where the episodes are just like tasty nuggets as opposed to a, a bigger meal because i think it really fits the way that they they chose to do it and it doesn't surprise me that Somebody like Favreau would, would want to go down that road because he would have grown up on all of the same shows that we did. He's the same age as we are. And, you know, the other thing, too, is that, um, you know, you're right, Ben, it's simple. And I like that. But what's cool about it is that there's intricacies in the overarching story, in the arc itself. So while each episode is relatively simple, you know, and, and as a whole, it's simple, like there is an arc that is a little bit more intricate. And, you know, like I said in my sort of opening tirade that it's just so good. I can't wait to see what happens next. Do you feel the same way in the sense of like, oh, it's TV, it's okay, it's not a big deal in regards to something like episode five, Helping the Noob? I just kind of didn't understand why he would give the kid the time of day. He just feel like he says it in the beginning of the episode. He's just like, yeah, have fun with that. That's a stupid idea going after her. She works with Jabba the Hutt. And he's like, okay, I'll help you. You know, it just seemed like a bit of a... Because he needed the money. Yeah. No, because he said he needed the money. Yeah, he needed the money. For, for, for sure, I'm with you. But like, as you just said, overall arc of the entire show throughout Mandalorian is quite strong, silent type, doesn't do dumb shit. And it just struck me as like something kind of dumb to do, you know? I don't know. Do, do you feel as though... Aside from the fact that it's easily explained by the needing the money, do you feel like the TV show format gives that more leniency? Like you might have approached it differently on the big screen or like, I'm just curious your thought. Hmm. Good question. Would they have approached it differently on the big screen? I really hope not because I like that the way that the combination of the writing and Pedro Pascal have brought the character to life. And also a nod to the two stuntmen that played the character under the armor when Pedro Pascal was not present. Mm. I also think that, you know, if you think about it, Chad, and you look, you, you look at all of the episodes, like, the man, first and foremost, the Mandalorians themselves are like, yes, he's a strong, silent type. He's a man of few words, all of that. But they are the opposite of sort of cold, calculating people. They're, they're very warm, and, the, and their motivation behind what they do is all very much from the heart. Like the whole thing with the foundlings. They rescue these foundlings and they take them in and they bring them up and each portion of like the jobs that they make or the the best guard that they make goes to fund to help raise a foundling. Like he's he's very 
heartfelt as a character. Like the, the whole idea of seeing the child and not wanting the child to be harmed and like taking him. And that is pretty much why we have this entire story. So no, I don't think it's it's far-fetched. You know, if I totally get what you're saying. And at first I kind of thought that, but then I was like, wait a second. No, 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 no. He's, he's very heartfelt. And I, I'm sure that it would be no surprise to me at all if he was like, oh, you know, I remember the way I remember my first day. <laughs> you know, I, I remember my first day at McDonald's. It was hard for me too. Yeah. I'm going to help you out. You know, I, I don't think that's much of a stretch at all, actually, because he, he seems all of his motivations seem to be from his heart, man. He kind of wears it on his sleeve a little bit. Yeah. He's, Pedro Pascal brought a great kind of uh, vulnerability to the character, which I think is amazing. You know, um, I was kind of afraid that he was going to be some kind of crazy OP, you know, just ridiculous, you know, like just can't be defeated sort of character. And he's not at all. He's not at all. He's totally, he's totally fallible and he's vulnerable and he's sensitive and you know, yeah, he's a badass, but he's not invincible, you know, and it seems like his badassery is is maybe fueled more by like a kind of passion than than like raw skill. You know, I mean, he's obviously skilled, but like when he really kicks ass, it seems like it's something emotional that's driving him. I, I could see him taking on a shitty job. You know, I mean, the, the prisoner episode, he's kind of taking on a shitty job because he needs money, you know, so. I'm not, I mean, I, I get what you're saying, Chad, but I'm not a hundred percent on, on, I think the, his motivation for taking the job, just being the fact that he needs money is fine. That doesn't strike me as like bad for any particular reason. Yeah. Just to finalize that for me, like, I think I was put, looking at it through the lone wolf and cub lens, which is my problem, not the show's problem. Ah, uh, yes. Which there is some of that, but I'm kind of pleased that it's not just that. Yeah. Yeah. You were going to say something, Kev? I was just going to say that you know when he when he goes into action it's it's very emotionally driven and I, and i almost was going to say no i think he's kind of more like a samurai but but i'm going to change that and say that he's he's kind of more like a samurai in the sense that he's had disciplined training and he's very good at doing what he does but i do agree with higo that uh it is it is coming from a place of emotion you know i think there are times when the action seems like he's just reacting because he knows like it's the training you know not not that it's cold but he's just reacting like you do when you've when you're that good at something you know and then other times yes there's definitely some emotion in there as well totally Mm. yeah I, i um just to touch on what you guys were talking about a minute ago I think one of the things I appreciated the most about the show, and I spoke briefly about it in the last episode where, you know, the first time he goes to see the armorer, there's some flashback stuff and a little bit of lore and how it kind of like was an oasis in the desert for me in terms of Star Wars. Um, I think like what you guys were just saying a minute ago about how the Mandalorians, you know, are very heartfelt as a as a group. It reminded me a little bit of some thoughts that I was having while watching the show, which is like they don't ever take their masks off, which kind of implies that, you know, they don't have like, you know, partners, romantic partners necessarily and like because as a group they're not a species, they're a group and they don't breed. They could have the foundling thing as part of their culture as a way to propagate their group and it's almost like a an interesting 
type of, you know, pseudo religion in a way. And I, I really, you know, that's obviously a lot of that stuff is just made up in my head from observation. But I just, I just like the idea of some newer thoughts coming into the Star Wars universe and how like taking a character like Boba Fett, who was kind of throwaway, and then turning it into a, you know, a tribe or group of people that have a certain creed. And that creed is very, you know, welcoming to younglings to come in and be trained up as pseudo samurai. Like it really resonated. I really dug that that kind of lore. I agree. Totally. I mean, I even love the fact that Jango Fett was used as the template for the clone soldiers. Like, so especially now, having watched The Mandalorian, thinking about the second of the prequel films, it's so cool that one of these, like, awesome warriors, highly skilled, like, you totally understand why he was chosen as the template for the clone soldiers. Mm. Like, they're so good, you know, like all the Mandalorians, like, they're so good. They're such skilled fighters and hunters and like, my God, man, you know. But that was this show, as opposed to, like, my take on Django and Boba Fett, where they were, like, kind of the cold, calculating, brutal killers that were highly trained. They were almost, like, special operations-style, like, uber-soldiers. Whereas, you guys make a good point, where the show fleshed out the, I don't know, for lack of a better term, the race, which it isn't a race, but you know what I'm saying. Like, the, the, the group of Mandalorians has so much more depth as a result of the show, which I just really appreciate. I totally, man. I know. That's what's so great about it. There's just like, it's lore abound. There's so much great lore in the show. But it's all implied as well, as opposed to like, they don't beat you over the head with it. You know, it's episodes that are really fun little stories with just like sprinklings of lore and that kind of get your imagination going. It's exactly what we were talking about in terms of the original trilogy. Exactly. And and that, that element of theatricality mm, mm. that I've talked about numerous times now is that the, the sprinklings just like get your imagination like pumping and you're like, oh, what about this? And what about that? That's what great storytelling's about. So you, were men- you guys were mentioning the prison episode. What did you guys think of that one? No, we didn't mention it, Chad. Yeah, no, I think Ben did. Wasn't me. I do, I do want to talk about that one, though. Yeah, let's go for it. We, I think we already talked about the gunslinger. I mean, we talked about it enough. It was a good episode, or not, depending on who you are. Yeah, it was good. It wasn't even that I was saying it was bad. It was good. I just was confused by the motivation, but I definitely buy what you guys were saying in terms of the justifications. All right, my quick opening salvo on episode six was a lot of great actors. Bill Burr, number one, who's made a, a just an incredibly strange and awesome crossover from being really a funny man to doing all kinds of serious, dramatic roles. And I think he's fantastic. And I loved that he was in this. Also, huge sci-fi cult favorite by many people, including pretty much everybody at this table, is Clancy Brown. Yeah, totally. Who played Berg or Kurg and like a delicious little th- throwback to Kurgan. Kurgan. <laughs> and um who <laughs> and don't forget Jurgen Kigurgen. <laughs> From the Babirgen Fjords. <laughs> From the Bigirgen Fjords. That's near Babirgen. Yes. That's near Babirgen. And then Mark Boone Jr. played um Rye or the guy that, you know, put the job together. Mm. And he's been in a ton of stuff. He played Flass in Batman Begins. He was really good in that. He's been in a lot of good stuff. I remembered him specifically from Memento, which I watched recently. He was the hotel clerk. Oh yeah. oh, yeah, that's right. He was in Memento. Correct. So, yeah, there's a lot of little, a lot of great actors in this one. And um, I thought the story was great. Uh, you know, 
classic sort of prison breakout with a twist, you know, it was cool. Oh, it's worth uh, chiming in real quick with the, the female lead in that episode was the, um, was the lady from Game of Thrones that was like the wildling that lived in Winterfell for a while that ended up like getting killed by the crazy dude that got eaten by the dogs. You remember that? Really? I do not remember that. Do you remember that wildling girl that was living at Winterfell for a while, Benny? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. She was a Twilight. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was really confused about her. I was like, I think I recognized her. I looked it up and she was from Game of Thrones. So yeah, just a random little nugget there. I was like, oh yeah, she was great in Game of Thrones. She she looked super familiar to me through the entire episode, and I couldn't place it. And then when I went back and looked afterwards, I was like, oh, okay, all right, all right. Yeah, exactly. Thank you for saving me from a death, Benny. That's exactly what I thought. <laughs> you're, you're very welcome. You're very welcome. Speaking uh, ooh, of, of familiarity, I think, uh, Kev, you might, you might like this. Something about this episode reminded me of the first act of Chronicles of Riddick mm. where he gets picked up Ooh. he gets picked up by all the bounty hunters and you know and there's just like this sort of like you know cheesy badassery repertoire going on between everybody and the prison break and all of that like it something about it like locked I was like this reminds me of this like and I, and I it was pleasant I liked that yeah totally a slight fast forward the scene in the finale where the winged animals swoop in and steal people really reminded me of the original Riddick where he's fighting against all of the giant animal stuff. Ooh, yeah. Pitch, like pitch black. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, pitch black. Yeah. There were definitely some Riddick vibes. It's funny that you say that about Riddick. In your right, it definitely has some Riddick vibes. And the funny thing about that is that when I first saw the, is it, how do you pronounce it, Ben? Twi'lek? Twi'lek, yes. The Twi'lek chick? Uh, Jean was her name, or Zian. I immediately thought it was the same actress that played the female mercenary, who I'm pretty sure was Kim Hawthorne in Chronicles of Riddick. Oh, and yeah. I didn't bother to look it up. They're not, it's not the same. It's not the same person. But she had a very. They have a similar facial structure, and and then the the voices sound similar. And I was like, is that the same person? But I, it's funny because I still never made the the rest of the leap there to like you know how it kind of was like Chronicles of Riddick. It really was like Chronicles of Riddick. You know, like the bounty hunters sort of you know snapping them up and being like you know hey we're doing this you know yeah definitely yeah very cool nice point man yeah that was a good yeah. one for sure yeah i was i was getting i was getting a very uh nick chinlin vibe from bill burr's performance in this you know like this is sort of like ah, the orchestrator of everything yeah like I, was, I was totally getting that kind of vibe from it definitely yeah he had a little he had a little tombs going on for sure tombs all back of the bus and shit <laughs> yeah man so yeah, another the- one of those. Wow, that's never happened, dude. Is that a three-way death? We all started talking at the same time. <laughs> that's an, that's an insta-death right there. Yeah, man. It's a murder, a death, and a kill. Crossing the streams in Ghostbusters, man. It's <laughs> very dangerous. Dude, Chad, that is exactly right. I think Chad just made the modern definition of a murder-death-kill. That's a murder-death-kill right there all three of us a murder a death and a kill crossing the streams crossing the streams man all right we're all dead there you go dead as shit um so i thought that the show was i thought that this episode was going somewhere a bit different um where like 
they've got the Riddick style banter in the ship on the way to the to the job, and it seemed like a bit of a intentional stoking of Mando to suss out where the child was, and then kind of a like, oh, is this a pet? I'm going to take the pet. It kind of got the vi- I kind of got the vibe. I kind of got the vibe that it was um, a setup to to take the kid off of him and leave him for dead. And it kind of didn't go that way, which I thought was interesting. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, no, I didn't think that at all. It didn't cross my mind. Really good. Just really like this episode. Really good. As I said, the actors. And then, you know, the story itself was great. Um, finding the the one rebel soldier in there that they were not expecting to find with the uh, homing beacon and taking the piss out of his boots was funny. No, that was definitely funny. I I, I thought the action was great too. I, I really dug the various different droids that were sentries on the ship and just the way the story played out in the action. I thought it was fantastic. I mean, this is an action show. That's why I compared it to Magnum and Knight Rider. I mean, this is, it's all about action, man. You know, this episode did not disappoint, you know, when they, when they kicked him into the prison cell, I, I, did, I didn't think that at all. I didn't think they see that coming. And I was like, oh. And then I was like, when they closed the door on the prison cell, I was like, oh, man, they're dead now. <laughs> <laughs> you going to take them down. What did you think of this one, Benny? Yeah, it's, a, it's another one of those, like, great self-contained little stories, you know. And uh, I think, like, like Kev said, uh, the the betrayal and and him turning the tables on everyone was was really well done. I thought maybe with the with the exception of the the very end of it, you know, like putting the, the homing beacon for the New Republic soldiers was kind of one thing, but but the fact that they the fact that they go forward to like blow the entire station up seemed a little bit out of character for New Republic starfighters, you know. But whatever, I mean, you know. There's a certain bar that things like that just, you know, they don't really matter to me so much. Yeah. Yeah. Fair. You know, I, I didn't think about that when I first watched it, Ben, but you're right. It was like it was kind of totally over the top. Like they they, you know, they sort of translate in from hyperspace. They fly around the Mandalorian. Oh, that's where the homing beacon's coming from. Oh, looks like they're launching a gunship. Well, better just blow the fuck out of it. Yeah, <laughs> they <exactly. do. laughs> oh, I, th- I thought it was like a like a Grand Theft Auto thing, you know, or like, you know, like doop to doop driving along, and then someone's like, "Hey, asshole!" And you're like, "What'd you say?" And you just go on like a nine minute long rampage, you know. <laughs> 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 uh, that's great. I really liked um, one of the early lines with Bill Burr where, like, you know, Mando lands and they're introducing the characters and Bill Burr is there. He's like, oh, yeah, he's a former Imperial sharpshooter. And then Mando's like, that's not saying much. <laughs> he's like, I wasn't a fucking stormtrooper. <laughs> so funny. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was funny. I, I like. I, I agree with Ben, though. You're, you're right. His line about the Gungan thing I thought was great. Which one? Oh, they were talking about taking his helmet off. He's like, come on. Oh yeah, he's like we, you know, he's like you got to show us, a, show us a little something. He's like, well, what are you a gungan under there? And then he said something. Yusa, Yusa, something. He says, I can't remember the line. Oh, it's so good. Is that why Yusa don't want to show your face? <laughs> there was just the right amount of that kind of banter throughout. Yeah, Bill Bill Burr was awesome, man. I I gotta say, I'm a huge fan. I I love his comedy. I love F is for Family. Um, you know, he's been great since like he was on the Chappelle Show. Like he's just oh my god, right? Just, just terrific, and it's cool to see him branching out. And it's kind of funny. He's famously like 
not a fucking Star Wars fan at all. Yeah, he doesn't give a shit. No, but he, and he's also like, you know, it's like it's not, you know, he's like, I just missed that. I didn't like it wasn't something I grew up with. So seeing it as an adult, it just doesn't have the same impact. And uh, so, yeah, I thought he was great. It's funny, too, because like I didn't know he was in the show, which I imagine you guys probably didn't either. But as soon as he shows up on the screen, I was like, oh, well, that explains why he and John Favreau made a grilled cheese sandwich on the chef show. Yep. <laughs> it was just like, a, oh, there you go. <laughs> oh yeah okay there you go he just like shows up one day bakes grilled cheese and just like with the most thick-ass boston accent just like makes sweet love to a grilled cheese sandwich and i was like yeah well it must have <laughs> just come from shooting or something the only other uh the only other thought i have on episode six was i absolutely loved when he's creeping up when mando's creeping up on um the the girl knife assassin and it's just like or no maybe it was the bill burr character where it's just like him in the distance and then it kind of like flashes and then it's him closer and then it flashes and it's him right behind him. It was just such great, a great shot. Totally. You know what? I was, I was picking up alien vibes there big time. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. In, in which part? Sorry. He's hunting down Bill Burr's character and like there's like an emergency light flashing, I guess, like a red light flashing. And it's like Bill Burr is like trying to find him and like the light flashes on and you see the Mando in the distance and then like it flashes again and he's a little bit closer and then like the next time it flashes is like right there and Bill Burr screams it gets totally <laughs> totally pulled right out of Alien yes that was really really great yeah a little Alien a little bit of Batman there too I think sorry Ben you had to say it didn't you you had to say you it. had to bring Batman into this you son of a bitch <laughs> you son of a bitch <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, dude. It was sort of similar in effect to the the scene you guys just brought up was when all of those battle droids come walking around the corner the first time and like all of the mercenaries are, are just kind of like they're, they're about to do something and then they're looking around and like they're noticing that Mando's not there and then Mando comes around the corner from behind the droids whips out his knife and just takes them all down it was tight I really like that a lot anyway episode 7 go 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 no no I really like that a lot too episode 7 the gang is back together gang gets back together and Gus Fring who's Gus Fring Gus Fring dude do you guys not watch Breaking Bad are you kidding oh yeah I think I stopped watching it before that. I I watched the whole thing, but man, it's been a long time. Wow, I we I've rewatched it once or twice. It's so good. I started it had already started, and I binge watched a bunch of it, and then I finished it up live. So it's been a while. Anyways, Gus Fring, Gus Fring, everybody. <laughs> yes, I was mentioning. You mentioned you mentioned uh, Cowboy Bebop. Exactly, Benny. You mentioned Cowboy Bebop last time around, and it turns out you were right. Well, I think I was saying that I was glad that it wasn't turning out to be a cowboy bebop thing. You were wrong. Um, I, I was, I was. Well, I don't know, man. I'm, I'm not a hundred percent wrong. It's not as if by the end of this, he's back on his own with just the little baby Yoda. You were not a hundred percent wrong. <laughs> I don't know. You know, like I didn't want that to happen, but um, as this, as it did occur, I thought it was handled well, and I realized that I was kind of like hoping that would happen because I really like all those characters and I kind of wanted to see them all together one last time. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. They handled it pretty well. Like I was very much on the same motorcycle as you with not being interested in a cowboy bebop like show, but because they ended up 
not sticking around, I'm totally okay with it. I said exactly the same thing you said. Yeah. How about you, Kev? Same thing? <laughs> sure. I don't know anything about Cowboy Bebop. Oh, really? Well, it, it you know, if even if you're not into the Cowboy Bebop or familiar with Bebop, it's similar to the Firefly thing where, like, everyone jumps on the same ship and they all race around having adventures together. It's the same vibe. Yeah. And in this case, they only had the one adventure and then everyone fucking dies. Just like the show. Uh, not everyone. The cool people did. Well, wait, what? No. Queel and IG-11 did. They didn't die in this episode. They died in the last episode. No, I know, I know. But we're just talking about, like, the whole arc. I mean, the last two episodes are very sort of mashed together, in my opinion. They play like an hour and a half film, you know. But, you know, some great moments, you know. I mean, again, simple, nothing like crazy that's never been done before. But just, you know, the sort of the whole hold up in the bar and the sewer escape. And he finally just, I love how they, they ran, you know, run into the pile of Mandalorian armor and helmets and then the armorer's there and she's like, oh, I happen to have my forge right here. You just earned your signet and let's just dial that right in right now because there's nothing else going on. And <laughs> then she just totally kicks the crap out of all those stormtroopers with her- Which is awesome. Various smithing hammers. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that was fucking badass. I love that shit. That was great. That was uh, that was one of my favorite. And and again, you know, she provides some more great lore. You know, talking about the Mandalorians and the Signet and all of that stuff. And I just thought that was great. I love every time she was on the screen. I loved it. Yeah, she needs to have her own goddamn show. For some reason, every time she was on the screen, the immigrant song from Zeppelin started playing in my head. <laughs> There you go, dude. I like it, man. Like, we'd have to put, include that in this episode in some, in some way. We'll just have that as the bed track of the whole show. Yeah. There you go. Perfect. Over and over again for an hour and a half. <laughs> yeah. Which, you know, makes sense considering YTT did direct the final episode. So it kind of fits. Yes. Yes. I, yes, I noticed that, and I knew that Chad would be giddy about that. Oh. And I loved the... You know, again, Nick Nolte is Queels. So good. Is great. And how they showed the whole thing of reprogramming a droid, like rebuilding and reprogramming a droid from scratch and literally teaching him how to function again like a, a, like a, a child of any race, you know? And I thought that that was just awesome, man. And then I love what IG-11 turned into in the end was like a total protector of the child and a protector of the Mandalorian and all all of the, I want to say humans, but I'll say beings, you know. I just thought that was great, you know. like, And he was always willing to put himself first above them and ultimately sacrificed himself to save them all. I thought it was fantastic. Totally, and warmed uh, Mandalorian's heart to droids again. Yes. Yeah. It's true. I, and I, I got to say, man, I was really bummed out that Queel died. And I, I somehow either missed it or blocked it out. But I I was really bummed out that he died. Yeah, me too. You know, just him going on about, you know, how he's worked like multiple human lifetimes for his freedom. And, you know, you get the impression that he just didn't have that much, you know, like the Empire just just dissolved. Right. I mean, it hasn't been that long since like the Freedom Fighters won. So you just you get that impression that he hasn't really had that much time to himself to enjoy his life. It's like getting it's like getting out of prison and getting hit by a car as you're crossing <laughs> the street to get in the cab. Yeah, 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 exactly. It was a very good way to ratchet the tension though. Like he Yeah. You know, it's a shame that his character got knocked off, but like 
him racing towards the ship and the old school scouts and the old school speeder bikes chasing after him. It was like, damn, that's, that was, it's a pretty great scene. Yeah. Yeah. It was really good, man. It was really well done too. Did you, you know, and again, I got to say like the speeder bike conversation, I just, that bantery. Oh dude, I loved that. It it just, it, it, it gave me cringy flashbacks to rise of Papa Palpatine. I'm sorry, man. It did. And I was like, it's okay. You don't have to like it. I did. I thought it was fucking hilarious. I know, but I just like, I don't, I don't think that that kind of dialogue like that belongs in these, in Star Wars. I just don't. I, I, we never saw it before. And I, it's a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. It's not a long time ago in, uh, the desert in California. You know what I mean? I'm sorry. It doesn't, it's not America. It doesn't take place in America. It doesn't take place on planet Earth. And I, I just think it takes away from the entirety of, the microcosm and it also takes away from it takes me out of the story in a way that i don't want to be taken out of it especially in this the mandalorian which is like redemption for you know this horrible movie that just came out so i I did like that one of the stormtroopers was jason sudeikis i mean he's awesome but i i just i don't know i didn't dig it man what did you think of that one benny okay here's the thing I, I know what you're. I know you're responding to the same kind of banter that was going on in. Uh, uh, Say it properly. Rise of the rise of the rise of yes, Papa Palpatine. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Thank you. Um, but I thought it was superior to any of that shit. And although it's it's a little over the top, and yeah, maybe it doesn't fit. I was feeling the heavy handedness of Taika Waititi in that entire oh for sure thing. Like it reminded me of his banter, like Ooh. as the as the rock guy with the little you know the, yeah Korg yeah, yeah. Korg and Korg and Mick yeah Meek yeah it was reminding me of that. So I liked it, you know. And like I said, my bar is set at a different level for this TV show. And yeah, I mean, there was a little, there's a small voice in my head going like, Oh Jesus. But at the same time, like I, I overcame that because I thought the quality of the, the banter was, was far superior to anything that you would have saw in Papa Palpatine. Like it was just better. It was just better comedic banter. You know, it was higher quality. I thought you're right. You're right. Okay. All right. Uh, ben, you're right. I dig what you're saying. And you're right about that. That's sort of changing my mind because I think I was just really raw from Rise of Pop- Papa Palpatine because that was just so egregiously bad. And I, when I was listening to our episode of that show, like we met, we mentioned that like ten or fifteen times. It felt like so it was just so ever present in the movie. I, I it really bothered me a lot. And so when I saw that, I, I guess I was really just still raw from that. And I was like, I really don't want to see this in a Star Wars property. One more, one more little addendum to that scene when they're both trying to shoot at that plant or that rock or whatever the fuck it is, and they're, they're just missing and missing, and they're both like shaking their pistols. Like, yeah, he shakes the pistol and it has a spray paint can foley for it. Fuck, it was so funny. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that was good, man. It was like a, it was like a space can. Yeah, yeah, so good. So. So my view on that is similar to Benny's. Like, I hard disagree with your original statement, Kev, and for a lot of the same reasons. But I think for me, it was like straight up like a Kevin Smith 
in Mallrats arguing about the Death Star. Like, it was essentially a scene that the fans always talk about. I loved it. I thought it was fucking hilarious. And, like, wanting to see Baby Yoda and, like, punching Baby Yoda when he's making noise. I just, uh, it was fantastic. I, I, I was delighted by that scene. Do you feel what I'm saying about the fan, the it being the fan thing, though? Oh, yeah. I, d- I definitely feel what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. There's, like, a meta layer to the whole thing. Like, yeah you know a self-commentary on like yeah totally it's almost like the kind of fan service i'm i'm down with now like i'm so sick of the traditional fan service that like bringing the fans bitchy bullshit into the show kind of like i kind of got a kick out of it mm-hmm. yes sir yes sir do you say yeah sure or yes sir so the canada huh almost made it almost made it going for some french fries and gravy sir <laughs> The um, what in the world is that? What is uh, Super Troopers, my friend? Sorry, I'm not not. I've only seen it once. I'm not a fan. Oh, I'm so sorry for you. Very. It kind of was a victim of overhype. I had so many people like bothering me to watch it for so long. I was finally like, you know what? I don't really want to watch this now. <laughs> you know how that happens. Yeah, I know. Well, that means we need to do an episode on it. I would totally watch it again. I also feel like, I mean, I don't really remember a lot of it, but it's a cult classic. And I was really kind of bummed out that the sequel came out like 15 years later. Like there's this rash of like these sequels coming out like years and years after the original. And I none of them seemed to be doing very well. I don't know how the Super Troopers 2 did, but I was bu- I was bummed out because I knew that the first one was so beloved. Well, I mean, they crowdfunded it and they, you know, the whole thing was more or less fan service, you know, and it's not the first movie, but I mean, the first movie is funny in a way that's i don't know why the fuck we're talking about super troopers right now but uh, <laughs> <laughs> called a sack it's it's one of those movies that i could see someone being turned off because it was overhyped you know it's a certain type of humor and if you're not in the mood for it then it's just not gonna strike you as funny and the second movie is just more of that same kind of you know doofy humor um and it's total fan service but it's okay because it was designed to be as such it was crowdfunded they were asking people what they wanted in the fucking movie you know and like They ended up putting a bunch of shit in it just because they ended up raising way more fucking money than they anticipated. So, you know, it's a the whole thing is just like a love letter to the fans. And, you know, if people want to shit on it. Fine. Yeah. I I didn't think it was anywhere near as good as the first one, but whatever, Uh, you know. Yeah. And you missed the boat on it, Kev. It kind of reminds me of uh, Kids in the Hall Brain Candy. Like if you caught that wave, it's the best goddamn movie ever. And if you didn't catch that wave, you're just like, what the hell am I watching? I probably need to just watch it again. Yeah, I know what you mean. Like, Brain Candy is definitely a movie that I absolutely love. But I could see, you know, if you didn't get on the on the bus in the beginning, you know. Oh, I've tried showing it to people, and they're just like, what am I watching? <laughs> what? Brain Candy, by the way, great candidate for talking about in the future, I think. Ooh, yeah, totally. Yeah. Oh my God. So underrated too. Like such an underrated cult film by a great group of comedic actors. Speaking of brain candy, I thought that the uh, monologue by Werner Herzog in episode seven was quite, quite interesting and quite good. It was candy for the brain. I like how you just reverse segued back into the show. Yeah. Good job. And I actually thought you were going to say, speaking of brain candy, the Mandalorian's a pretty good show. Because because we were so far down the cul-de-sac, like we speaking were at of like kids the, in the 20th hall, mailbox. Uh, speaking of. <laughs> all day. The, um. <laughs> you and me all day. 
when uh, big muscles, <laughs> hard, hard muscles. <laughs> when um, when Werner Herzog is at the at the bar, Mister November, <laughs> he likes it hot. <laughs> stop! 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 That was such a good segue. Come on, let me have it. Go! Go! When when Werner Herzog is talking to them when they try and bullshit that the baby's in the capsule and it's sleeping. And he goes on and on about, like, why resist? The Empire improves every system it touches. I really enjoyed that perspective. Mm, I thought it was, like... I did, too. I don't agree with it, but I was just like, you know what? That is exactly how somebody like him would justify everything, you know? He's like, there's more peace now and more prosperity. What do you guys have? It's bedlam out there. It's just, it was great. Sure. I don't know. He br- he brought up a really good point, and I really... I, I thought about that a bunch. Like, I was like... Yeah, that's an interesting point. It is, you know. It was cool to bring into the show. You know, there's a lot of there's a lot of that reverse sort of, uh, you know, philosophically thinking about, you know, like oh, the Jedi were evil. You know, like if you look at everything they did, they were terrible. And you know, it's just it's more it's more of that. But it's like it was cool that they brought it into the episode. Yeah, and it touches on that kind of nationalism kind of thing. You know, like the the Nazi esque kind of stuff that they touch on. Absolutely, man. But you could totally imagine some the Imperials, you know, having that type of thinking. And then it's just like, yeah, that's fine, man. You know, on a spreadsheet, but you're, you're murdering people like mass murdering people. Right. Yeah. And you're, yeah, you're mass murdering Mandalorians. You're enslaving Wookiees. You're, you yeah, know, like, just, uh, your spreadsheet makes it look like everything's, you know, pointing up into the right, but it's, it's down into the left. It's really back into the left. Yeah. It's back into the left. Yeah, exactly. Back into the left. Yeah. Back and to the left. Enhance. 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 <laughs> it's Afghanistan animation, Chief. <laughs> Johnny Chimpo. Johnny Chimpo. <laughs> oh, Jesus. What did you think of the um of the TIE fighter that kind of went all X Wing and landed? That was kind of cool. That was interesting. And it's and I mean it appeared to just be a normal Tie Fighter mm. when it was in flying position. It didn't look like it was necessarily anything different. Yeah, like a Vader style one or whatever. Right. I mean, typically we've just seen them land like on their you know on their hexagonal wings, on their nubbins, on their yeah whatever you want to call those solar panels or whatever the fuck they are. Yeah, exactly. I could kind of see their seeing like an X wing and being like, ooh, some like Imperial engineer seeing that and being like, ooh, I wonder if we can do that with a tie, and then you know. Stealing technology kind of thing. Yeah, perhaps. It was like a subtle nod to pushing the technology forward, but it didn't fall into the normal trap of like, let's reinvent everything for merch purposes, you know? Right, right. Yeah, it was cool. Uh, why not? That's not what we've seen before, but then again, everything is new canon now anyway. So and I'm, I'm all about things that, you know, transform shape from one thing to another. That's what that's what was so cool about the X-Wings, as you brought up before in the first place, you know, like the wings switching to attack position was always cool. It was always super cool, for sure. Well, did that TIE fighter make the TIE fighter sound? It did at one point, and then it didn't. Yeah, I was going to say, I don't, I don't remember it doing it. It did, it did from a distance, and then when Mandalorian got up on it, it didn't. So it was weird. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's that's one thing they can't take away is that TIE fighter sound. That That is just iconic. I dug it. I, I, I was like, this is kind of weird, but I guess, it, you know, if you were um, a higher level... <laughs> If you were in upper management in the Empire, <laughs> like Vader 
or Kylo Ren or whatever, you would, you would have a TIE fighter like that. And, you know, Vader had that kind of, um, triangular wing, pointed wing TIE fighter. And I thought it was cool. I, I wasn't expecting the wings to fold, but, and it seemed a little un, it seemed unnecessary that they did fold because all the other TIE fighters just land on the sort of panels on the sides. Like, I don't know. I was, I thought it was cool. His entrance was like, a little sort of insanely overblown like it was like okay he's here a little bit of extra drama for the uh the introduction of moff gideon i liked him as a character though having it be like someone who's clearly going to be a baddie as opposed to just like a disposable villain that dies at the end of the season oh he's great he's great oh my god he was great i I love that he was like just not not an unhinged villain but like a very calm uh, well prepared, you know, like he had like all the intel on everybody and was kind of using that like psychologically against them. I thought he was terrific. Uh, yeah, I just yeah, Giancarlo Esposito Esposito was just amazing. Just played it played it so well. I caught that same vibe when he was just like standing in the middle of the battle. It really reminded me of like scenes from like Band of Brothers where everyone's hunkered down trying to save their asses. And there's always like one crazy dude who's just standing there. He's like, I'm not going to get shot. <laughs> He's just like standing there, walks up, shoots Mandalorian in the back of the head, turns around like with the giant blaster and then blows up that huge box next to the machine gun. Like, he just doesn't give a shit. He knows he's not going to die. You know, I like that. Yeah. He was kind of channeling uh, Robert Duvall on the beach and in, in apocalypse now. Yeah, exactly. Thank you. Perfect example. Yeah. Perfect example. Oh, Colonel Kilgore. Yes, yes. So he was Moth Moth Kilgore. I like it. Moth Kilgore. Yeah, I'm looking forward. I'm looking forward to more of him. I think he's going to be a great, uh, a great villain. How freaking badass was that dark katana thing that he had? Oh, dude, that's the dark saber. That is so a. Cool. That's a, that's a Mandalorian weapon. Is it? Yep. Oh. Yes, that is a Mandalorian weapon. The dark saber. I know nothing about that. It's like a revered. Like, uh, yeah, I don't know. There, there once was like in, it's kind of odd that they're like changing some canon, but not others. But yeah, it's. Where's like, that from? Where do you guys know that from? Uh, that was, that was heavy duty in, in like, uh, Clone Wars, the animated show. Oh, okay. See, I haven't watched that still. Yeah. It's interesting. It, it, we just believe that he's either an ex Mandalorian or that he was like instrumental in, uh, you know, the genocide of the Mandalorians. Yeah. That's as soon as you said that. That's what I jumped to. Is that it's like a trophy? Yeah, totally, totally a trophy. Interesting, but that would even be. It would also be interesting if he was a ex Mandalorian. It would also be really cool if he defeated a single Mandalorian and stole all his stuff. Mm-hmm. I have to see. Well, at least in the Clone Wars, uh, that's sort of how it goes, and that's how the that's how the dark saber had been like passed from one person to another. So it was originally. It was, it was originally made by a by a Mandalorian Jedi. Oh wow! Like way back in the day, and it's sort of been like this. A Mandalorian Jedi. Wow. Yeah, which I, I, you know, I my war knowledge doesn't go far enough to know that the name of the guy, but uh, or or girl for that fact. But um, it's sort of this like artifact that's been handed down from person to person in Mandalorian culture. You know who that person was, Ben? That character's name was Jar Hego. <laughs> I just tied everything together. There you go, folks. Thank you. You're welcome and good night.
Yeah, we've touched on episode 8. It's kind of like a two-parter with episode 7, but um, there's a few more things on episode 8 that I think would be worth touching on. Yeah, sure. Oh, is this the part of the show where we're like about to wrap it up and Chad's like, uh, I have one or two nuggets, and then we talk for like another 45 minutes? Another 45 <laughs> minutes. <laughs> oh, speaking of which, a perfect segue because uh, the red dude from episode 6, your buddy, um, Clancy Brown. Yeah. Berg, Yes. Huh? Berg is that the guy's name? Okay, perfect. The character name was Berg. Yeah, not 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 Clancy Brownberg. <laughs> <laughs> I I think he should be Clancy Brownberg. Not to be confused with Susie Greenberg. <laughs> well, Clancy. <laughs> wait, wait. <laughs> We're in a Clancy Brown cul-de-sac now. What is your malfunction, you fat barrel of monkey spunk? I ain't going to count to three. I'm not even going to count to one. You will shut the fuck up or I'll sing you a lullaby. Oh, my God. We got stuck in his driveway, clearly. Go ahead. No, the little nugget about Clancy Brown is he plays Mr. Krabs in SpongeBob SquarePants. I just want to throw that out there. And he's also red. That's true. He does. And Mr. Krabs is red. That's right. I, I did not know that. I didn't either. And I think it's fantastic. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. It's awesome, man. I knew that a while ago. He's uh, he's just, I'm a huge fan of his, man. I have been since he played Byron Hadley in Shawshank Redemption. Oh, 100%. He's great in Shawshank. You shit when we say you shit, and you piss when we say you piss. You got that, you maggot dick motherfucker. All right, stupid, stupid nugget from episode eight. When the flashback scene where Mandalorian flashes back to him being a little boy and he gets saved by the Mandalorian uh, dude that opens the basement door, the guitar riff that plays when the Mandalorian reaches out is so awesome, and I'm going to put it as a bed track right now, and I absolutely fucking loved it. Yes. And it was so YTT in terms of the immigrant song thing you were talking about before, Benny. Yes. Yes. Excellent stuff. Excellent stuff. The other note I've got on 8 is IG-11 on the speeder was fucking fantastic. Oh, I was just thinking about that. It's so great. It's so good. His whole, that whole sequence, just his entire role, the reprogrammed IG-11 was just awesome. But one of the best moments in the, those last two episodes is when he wanted to treat the Mandalorian and he's like, I can't take my helmet off. No living being can see me. And he just says, I am not a living being. And then he takes the helmet off and he treats his wound and he saves his life, man. Like, it's just awesome, dude. Yeah, what did you guys think about the fact that the helmet came off? I don't. I'm kind of torn. I, I was not torn of anything. It was like, who cares? Like he needed to take the helmet off to treat him. He wasn't a, a, a living being, and I was like, perfect. You know, we we got to see what he looks like briefly, and it's like awesome. I mean, I I knew what Pedro pa- Pascal looked like, but I think it's probably important for him to get a little bit of face time in the series so that oh sure people can sort of track him in other you know things that he's been in. It would have been kind of cool if it was not until the next season or something though. Like, but that's a, a bit of a silly nitpick. Yeah, I mean the the problem with that chat is that you know back in like you know the eighties or the nineties even like you know something like that. You know, if you if you you know read watch the credits and you were like, oh, it's Pedro Pascal. It's not like you could just jump on the internet and go see what he looks like. You you'd you'd have to do a lot of digging to find out who he was, man. And then that's true. Like, I mean, a lot of digging. So now it's like, you know, whatever. You know, the first episode, people see Pedro Pascal. They're like, oh, they just look him up on the internet. They're like, oh, that's the guy from this. You know, yeah. So they know what he looks like. So it's not really like something that you can hide. So while I appreciate what you're saying, I don't think things like that are really 
kind of relevant anymore. It's like, it, it's sort of pointless, you know? Yeah. But the people that, all the people that listened to our prospect episode before watching the Mandalorian knew exactly who he was. So thank Benny for that one. Yeah. He's uh Pedro Pascal, friend of the show, <laughs> friend of the show, Pedro Pascal, friend of the show. What did we think about the, uh, obtaining of the rising Phoenix jetpack and the, uh, jingle all the way turbo man esque first flight i was totally cool with it <laughs> um well mulvey loved the entire sequence i thought it was fantastic i love that she awarded him the the use of the that piece of equipment and i loved that he was basically harold in jingle all the way when he flew the thing for the first time it was awesome man and he chose not to catch jamie so perfect <laughs> that was chad's favorite part that was my favorite and there you go another tie-in you know jamie star wars exactly midichlorians mandalorian jetpacks they all tie together bro see folks that's how it happens we discover it all right here on the show and then we pass it on to you to make your lives better just the more you know you know another addition to the in this episode everybody dies venn diagram of doom right there's a lot there of fucking go. circles on that thing. <laughs> <laughs> there is a lot of circles on that thing. <laughs> now, the TIE fight was awesome, man. I think the TIE fight in this one was better than the TIE fight in Rise of Skywalker. You know, I, I'll watch Mandalorian fight a TIE fighter any day. Much, much superior. Yeah, definitely. You can't even compare them, man. Why would you even bother? Because both attempted the same thing and Mandalorian did a good job, whereas the other one was kind of like, whatever. Yeah, well, that whole movie is like whatever. So there you go. Fair, fair. One was like a by the skin of the teeth kind of, you know, semi-believable thing. And the other was like Ray being totally OP. Yeah. Ray as Neo from the Matrix. Yeah, it was. Yeah, exactly. Ray as Neo from the Matrix. Yes, definitely. No. Matrix moment. (laughs) No. 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 I'm so tired of people doing that in movies. Let's rate this. God, yes. Uh, letter grades for me. Tardigrades. Wait, we're doing tardigrades or <laughs> how many tart? How many tardigrades are you giving this movie? Well, that's that's your shtick, Benny. I'm doing letter grades. Uh, my my improbability driven ratings are only for movies, so I am sticking with the letter grade for the TV shows. As well. Okay, perfect. Oh, okay, all right, all right. Well, who who wants to go first? Benny, go first. Okay, it's a solid eight. I like this show. Hell yeah, bro. I like this show a lot. It, 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 it's just right for me. It's the kind of thing I want to watch right now. And I hope there's more shows like this. That's it, man. For me, again, solid A. It's great. It saved Star Wars for me. I just find it so odd that that film came out right in the middle of this series. You know, I my, my guess is that they weren't really feeling or they weren't sure what was going to happen with this series. And so they kind of were like, yeah, you know, here, Favreau, you just go kind of take this and do this, you know, and he's knocking it out of the park. And the movie was terrible. And this movie is like sort of saving Star Wars for me at the moment. Like Ben said, it's exactly what I need right now. It was the perfect dose of Star Wars with delicious lore about a very cool group of people in the Star Wars universe and I just I love it man everything was great about it all the actors were awesome and the story was great the action was excellent I got not like nothing bad to say about it it's excellent I cannot wait for season two now totally so does that that means that based on the grade you prefer this to the Watchmen for both of you guys for me definitely oh yeah this is definitely better than Watchmen okay 
Um, yeah, for me, I think it's an A as well. I don't think it's better than Watchmen, but they're all damn close. Um, they are. I mean, I, when I say that, I mean they are close. There's no question about it. Watchmen, Watchmen is really trying to do... It gets huge points for trying to do something really bold with some very bold and controversial material. You know, this this isn't quite in that camp. It's a very different kind of show, period. It is. It is for sure. Very, very different kind of show. Ben's right. Hard to compare. Yeah. I'm just kind of curious your thoughts, even though I recognize they're very, very different. So appreciate your uh, chiming in. The um, Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I really like the show. It's a solid A. No no problem giving it an A. Um, I would put it behind both the boys and Watchmen, even though they're all very different. There were some things in the show that I was kind of like, meh, about, but as you guys mentioned, it's a different medium, and so being more forgiving of TV, I think, is perfectly reasonable. I'm very excited to see what they do with it. What do you mean being more forgiving because it's TV? Like, I don't understand. That's something that I brought up, and I've mentioned a couple times that the the height of the bar for this show compared to movies, or or for shows, is kind of different than the bar for movies. Or or the the bar for this show is different than the bar for the Star Wars movies, specifically, I think. Yeah. And I think it's a great point, because I do feel that's legit, at least in my view, and... As a result, like the stakes aren't as high from the bean counter's perspective, and it's reasonably likely that he had more freedom because people were just like, yeah, whatever, make a show. We don't really know how to make a show yet, so make one. All we've done is the animated ones, and they were good, so make something mm-hmm. that you want to make. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, I'm with that. Um, so I'm down with that, and... You know, the things, like, we touched on it a little bit, like, the Save the Farmers episode, Helping the Noob, and the Prison Ship video game, like, they were kind of the middle three episodes, so to speak, and they kind of were, I mean, this is a strong thing to say, but, like, they were kind of fillers, where the first couple episodes and the last couple episodes were way more story-driven, but as you guys mentioned, like, the filler episodes were just like a, you know, like an A-Team thing or a Knight Rider thing, like, it fit perfectly, and so there's no gripes there. Yeah, they were kind of monster of the week, but they were also, I mean, thinking about it now, like um, the Sorghum episode was introduced to Gina Carano, who became a pretty major factor in, you know, the later episodes, you know, and I like her. They were threaded together, like the the prison episode and the gunslinger episode were, you know, like he, he had to do the gunslinger episode, that job, he had to do it to get the money. And because the ship was beat up, you know, on his way to do something else. So I, I don't know. Yeah, I get what you're saying, though. I get it. Yeah. And you were saying you like her. I wasn't super big on I her. I wasn't but- huge on her. But I, I I mean, I think the character was fine. There was no reason to not include the character. I wasn't oh, totally. nuts. I, I think it was more just like she probably doesn't have a ton of acting experience. And it kind of showed through a, few, a little bit here and there. But I, I dug the character, I guess. You were saying you, you dug her, though, Benny? Yeah, I mean, I see what you're saying, but I I think towards the end there, she definitely seemed to have a, a better grasp on things than maybe she did in in the uh, Sorghum episode. But I just I like the character, um, and where she was strong, she was really strong. I thought I liked her. Yeah, agree. Well, she's definitely a good addition to the show, and I think you know any moments that I got pulled out because of maybe missing a beat on the acting, I'm not going to hold against her as an actor, and like I hope that she, you know. I hope that she gets more roles and and really is able to capitalize on her her niche because she's cool. Yeah, I hope we see more of that character in the future, too. I'm sure we will. Yeah, yeah. I liked her little, like, you know, gangbanger tear tattoo that was a rebel symbol, too. That was funny. Yeah. Yes. 
Um, but yeah, as far as the show for me, like I said it all, like it's a damn good show. I'm interested to see what they do next. And I, I definitely agree with, with, um, with you, Kev, when you said it kind of made Star Wars, you know, good. Saved it. Yeah. It's keeping it afloat. That's for damn sure. Yeah. Like if it fell on its face and the last two movies fell on their faces, like I think there'd be a lot more despair. And I think that the the Mandalorian is probably the best damn thing that's going to happen to the corporate Disney heads because without it, there would be far less forgiving people in regards to the movies, I think. Dude, I will make a prediction. I will guarantee you that Jon Favreau will be directing the next Star Wars movie. You think so? Absolutely, man. Yeah. So that's it. Solid A's all around. Is that is that a is that what you said, Chad? Yeah, solid A's all around, man. Yep. Yeah, man. This is the kind of it's the kind of thing I've I've been hoping to see from Star Wars. You know, something a, a different story, something that's not directly related to the Skywalker saga. Getting to see some different characters and getting to dive deeper into the war and and all the neat gadgetry and and such of of Star Wars. It's perfect. I love it. And it's and a slightly different genre and stuff as well. Like I'm totally okay with them, you know, jumping onto the Clint Eastwood style man with no name stuff. Like I have no problems with it. So it was great. You know what? Here's a great way to, to say the, the kind of characterize this show. This is a very street level view of star Wars and the star Wars universe. Excellent. I like it a lot. So, um, that being said, thanks to all the folks at home for tuning into the show. Algorithm, what are we looking f- at for next week? And next week we're doing our top five of 2019. So anything goes, Ooh. bring some crazy stuff to the table, and um, it should be an interesting conversation. Now, top five, and this is for the folks at home, top five what? Anything? Top five anything. And it's not like this is my top five shows, five, four, three, two, one. It's like I like this show and this book and this flavor of ramen noodles. Mm, okay. I like that. It's just a, a, an opportunity to chat about what we liked in the last year. Little little show and tell. Yeah, a little show and tell is good. I already I just thought of something that uh that I want to talk about. So yeah. So the only question I have in regards to that is is it something that you experienced in twenty nineteen or does it like for the sake of TV or movies that need to be released in twenty nineteen? Are we are we gonna be pedantic about it? Yeah, uh, well you're saying does it does it have to have been made in twenty nineteen or does discovering it in twenty nineteen count? Because I think the narrow the narrower we keep it the easier it's going to be for us, you know, giving ourselves a smaller parameter here to, to work within is going to be easier. I think as, as it is right now, I'm going to do this shit and the following week. I'm going to be like, actually that was all bullshit. It was these other five things that I really liked. I just didn't have enough time to think it just didn't occur to me or whatever, you know, like, so yeah, I could see that too, man. All right. So generally speaking, it needs to be contained within 2019. I think so. Yeah. I think, I think the narrower we keep it, the, the field, the search in, it's going to be easier for us. I'm actually really excited to do that now. I, I've just thought of a bunch of, a couple of things that like, I like, I like the parameters that it's like things that you really liked. Like it doesn't have to be freaking TV shows. Well, it should be a good, it'd be a good chat. Okay. So, so folks at home, thanks for tuning in and to honor uh, one of the best characters from The Mandalorian who is no longer with us, I, I will sign off by saying, I have spoken. Perfect. I'll see you guys later. I have spoken. There you go. What was the thing? Grief Karga told me to, you were coming or something? Grief Karga told me you'd be coming. <laughs>
And that's going to wrap up this week's episode, folks. Next week, we're going to be talking about our top five favorite things of 2019. Ooh, be sure to tune into that. You can find the show notes for today's episode in your podcast app of choice or at our website, ebd.fm forward slash episodes forward slash 37. You can find me at Mulverine on Twitter. That's M-O-H-L-V-E-R-I-N-E. Chad is at Chad Normal on Twitter, and Ben is at Jarhego on Twitter. That's J-A-R-H-E-E-G-O. I'd like to take a minute and thank everybody so much for tuning into the show. You know, it means so much to me and the boys. And if you'd like to support the show, there are a couple of great ways you can do it. First, by rating and reviewing us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also tell someone to check out the show. Word of mouth is incredibly powerful and incredibly effective, and we appreciate it so much. Thanks again for tuning in, and we'll see you next week, folks. Muscles! Oh, yes, sir!